0: Time for another edition of Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live from windy, cold Portland, Maine. Icy, windy, snowy, cold Portland, Maine, but uh, I guess that's January in the state of Maine, so I'm not complaining. Um, I'm not positive who's going to be joining us on today's program. I know that uh, Tom Ambrose will be from Morse Street School in Freeport, Maine. Maybe we'll get uh, Carol and Susan from British Columbia. I know that we will not be having Nina from South Berwick. Um, She's got a meeting that she wasn't able to escape. Um, None of them have called in yet, so I am going to um, start with... Um, um, of our email that we've received that have piled up for this program. And um, well, let me see which one I want to start with here. Hi, Dr. Green. I um, am a behavior assistant with children in the kindergarten and early learning program in my school
2: system. Actually, I'm going to interrupt
0: here to bring on...
1: Tom, how are you today?
2: I'm good, Ross. How are you?
0: I am good. And do we have Susan or Carol with us today?
1: Susan, Happy New Year, everyone. Susan,
0: same to you. We'll see if Carol calls in. We're not going to have Nina today, just uh, just you three if Carol calls in. And, um, Great. And what I was saying is that a bunch of email has accumulated um, for us to respond to, um, but as I do usually when we do this program, let me ask you both if there's anything burning that you all want to talk about today besides Tom's new snowboard, which probably isn't,
3: <laughs>
0: which I've already nice. seen a picture of, but um, it's got quite a, um, what is that called, Tom, the thing that goes a on the A fish a fishtail uh, on it, and uh, I've seen that. Carol has now joined in here. By the way, Carol, how are you?
4: I am very well. A little chilly and damp from being outside on supervision just now, but uh, doing well.
0: Well, we'll we'll take you chilly and damp, uh, or however <laughs> we can get you on this program, I suppose. Um, I was asking. We're not going to have Nina today, but we do have uh, Tom and Susan. I was asking if you all have anything burning to begin with today, um, because we do have some email to respond to, but let's see if there's anything you all wanted to talk about. I know, Susan, you told us about uh, a new student you had in your building, and I was kind Mm -hmm. of, last time we were on this program, I was kind of curious about how he's doing.
1: Well, you know what? Yeah. He, he uh, was sick that week before spring before uh, winter break, and we just started back today, so I don't even know how he's doing today. I've been around to the classrooms, but he wasn't in there, so I will let you know at the next show. Mm. All right.
0: That's what we'll do yeah. then.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: anything that you all have on your mind
2: today? I'd like to read the emails just because it would be kind of curious to hear what the folks who have been listening. Let's
0: do it. And here's the interesting thing. When I read these, um, uh immediately it occurs to me that there are some here that, Tom, you and I may have different opinions on, and that's always yeah. fun. But <laughs> let, me, let me, which is amazing given that we think so much alike. But here we go. Here's the first one. Uh, I am a behavior assistant with children in the kindergarten and early learning program in my school system. Will you please help me to understand the reason behind the neuroscience research that departs from viewing children as attention-seeking, manipulative, and so forth. Sounds to me like choosing to say the child is lacking in cognitive skills removes the negative connotation of attention-seeking, manipulation, etc., and allows the caregivers to view the child with a deeper understanding of the underlying reason. In addition, it removes stereotyping by allowing us to focus on where the behavior has initially developed, cognitive. Is this somewhat the idea? (laughs) Lastly, what is your feeling towards a subtle reward such as perhaps a sticker at the end of school for making it to a challenging day? Life is all about rewards, but it's how one uses the reward system. As adults, we use rewards every day, such as a glass of wine on Fridays, or we reward a child with the choice of heavy work or helping out the teacher. Obviously, there's a fine line, as we do not want to set the kid up for failure based on a reward system. Thank you so much for your time. I look forward to hearing from you. Let's divide that into two Two parts. Um, What's the idea behind the research that says that the child, that takes us away from attention, thinking, and manipulative and toward lagging skills? That's part one. Um, And does it give caregivers a deeper understanding of what's really getting in the kid's way? And number two, what do we think about a small reward, perhaps a sticker at the end of the day for making it through a challenging day? And um I certainly have opinions on both of those, but I'm not going to express them yet. What do you all think?
2: <laughs> He's baiting me.
1: I love it. I love your I love your discussion.
2: That is really funny. Hey Ross, don't so let me forget too, I, I want to make sure to clarify for people listening at the at some point, maybe not even on this program, but we should talk about the difference between um AYP adequate yearly progress and students um making uh a year's growth in a year. Annual growth. So there there is a difference and we can do that later.
0: Let's if if um let's pay attention to the time and at four oh five if we think of it, let's cover that. Good? Okay, cool. Um that gives us about a half hour to get through about five or six emails and we don't have to get through all of them. What do mm-hmm. what do you all think of this idea of well i've got I can't resist what's the idea? What's the reason behind the neuroscience research that tells us that kids are lacking skills? Why would we want to emphasize that because it's true <laughs> and yes, it does take us away from attention seeking and manipulative, but most importantly, as I've been saying frequently lately. I think the single most important finding from the research that's accumulated on behaviorally challenging kids over the last 40 to 50 years, I think it's a slam dunk. Behaviorally challenging kids are lacking skills. I don't think the attention-seeking manipulative theory has been proven, but all you got to do is look at a lot of the research that's accumulated over the last 40 to 50 years the lagging skill hypothesis as the primary factor underlying challenging behavior in kids has been proven. Okay, now okay, now Tom and I can get into a debate about the reward part, but we're not there yet. Um, what what I, do you I'd all like think? To, oh. Please.
4: Well, I was just going to say I would like to say something about the reward part because the example that the the writer gave about you know adults reward themselves all the time, such as a glass of wine on a Friday afternoon. That may happen, but there's two differences. One is you're, it's something generally that is self-rewarding. So I might say, you know what? I've really worked hard this week and I deserve this. The other part is it's not contingent. I don't say, Carol, if you can get through the entire week without you know, uh, slamming your door, then you get a glass of wine at the end of the week. It's not contingent. It's just I've gotten to the end of the week and I feel like I'm going to give myself a little something. So it's 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 internal and it's not contingent on my behavior. So if they're saying, you know, if it's spontaneous at the end of the day and the child's had a really good day and and the adult just wants to say, you know what, you did a fab, you worked really hard today. I could really tell that you were trying to, you know, put that plan into place that we had talked about. You know, here's a sticker. It's different than saying now if you make it to two o'clock without doing it, then you get the sticker, right? It's a completely different. Mindset that the child is is developing in that sense.
1: Carol has weighed in. I I, I totally agree with Carol um, about that. It is a different mindset of saying if you make it to the end of the day, or just spontaneously saying, "Wow, you are really working hard. That's fantastic."
2: And, and I would agree with that in general. I think that the the only thing that I I just I like to keep a really open palette of options when working with a kid. So if the child expresses their concern and I, I express mine and the outcome is we agree to try something like having an interval of time with a, a reward, I don't have a problem with that because it's it's done collaboratively. It's different when people say to a kid, we want you to change this and if you do it, you're going to get this. And I, I think that, that for some kids um dickers or, or a chart works really well and for some kids it really doesn't. And it just depends on the kid and with that whole thing, my, my take on it is it's just I just want to keep the options open. I, I like to keep as many things um available in the toolkit so to speak as possible.
0: Well I like having tools in the toolbox that are actually going to get the job done. Um you know, I think that a hammer is good for some things and a screwdriver is good for other things. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. I think that rewards are good and punishments are good for some things and not for others. And if we are applying rewarding and punishing to something that rewarding and punishing isn't likely to fix, then that's like using a hammer when what we really need is a screwdriver. Um, And so my... Now, the the problem, of course, is that I've largely talked myself out of the things that I would use rewards or punishments for um, because I think that rewarding and punishing is good at motivating kids to do well. But because I think kids do well if they can – I operate on the assumption that the kid is already motivated to do well and that poor motivation is not what's getting in the kid's way. And so I've taken rewards and punishments out of the mix on motivation because I don't think I'm working with a kid who's unmotivated. So what else would a reward and punishment be useful for? Uh, rewarding and punishment programs are pretty good at reminding kids of our expectations, what behaviors we'd like them to exhibit and what behaviors we would prefer that they not exhibit. But I, my experience tells me that the very vast majority of the kids I've worked with over the last 25 years already knew how we wanted them to behave and already knew how we didn't want them to behave. And so I've now taken rewarding and punishing out of the mix on that as well. Um, I, I'm not big on doing things extrinsically when they could instead be done intrinsically because the truth is good performance frequently isn't rewarded by the outside world and poor performance frequently isn't punished by the outside world. True. I often tell this story when I first began working in the juvenile detention system in the state of Maine. I went up to a kid who was one of the residents at the time, and I said to him, what you're working on? He said, I'm working on getting my level. I said, what do you got to do to get your level? He said, I got to be good. He had he mm-hmm. had no idea what he was working on. And the only reason he was working on what he didn't know what he was working on was so that he could get the goodies that, were, that would uh, apply to him if he got a higher level. This was very distressing, of course. It's not good for us to have a kid who has no idea what he's working on and is only working on it because he wants to get goodies. So I went up to one of the officers on the unit, and I pointed to the kid, and I said, what's what that kid over there? What's he working on? And the officer said to me, he's working on getting his level. And I said, what's he got to oh, do to get his level? And the officer said, he's got to be good. Be
1: good. <laughs> oh, crazy. Ouch.
0: And
2: so, Oh, go ahead.
0: Well, I'm. what what I learned was that there's a li- little bit of a slippery slope with a reward and punishment program. And then I got one more thing, and then, Tom, of course, uh, we'll, we'll have to hear what you have to say. We want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> that came out wrong. We do want to hear what you have to say. Um, it's a slippery slope. What I find sometimes happens is that both kids and adults become – much more oriented toward the rewards and the punishments than they do on what it is that they, we actually would like them to be working on. But here's, here's perhaps the most important issue. Most reward and punishment programs are focused on behaviors, not problems. I think that if you solve the problems that are causing the behaviors,
2: the behaviors
0: subside. But I find that the reverse is not true. When we are only working on the behaviors, the problems often remain unsolved. And so I'm not allergic to reward and punishment programs. The research from Virginia Tech that's going to be coming out soon in research publications tells us that um, reward and punishment programs are the equivalent of solving problems collaboratively, at least over the short term, in other words incentivizing good behavior and punishing negative behavior is at least the equivalent, at least over the short term, as it relates to a kid's behavior, as solving problems collaboratively. So one wouldn't want to be allergic to reward and punishment programs. It's just that given all of what I just said, which I realized took a very long time, I've just talked myself out of them. Um, (laughs)
2: I, I I think I'm really going to like freak some people out right now, because uh, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think that that it. I just I really ultimately all the point that I wanted to get across with this is that I don't think rewards and punishment work all the time. But I do think that that uh, you know one of the things that I've seen the best part of implementing. Um, positive behavioral interventions and supports at Moore Street School as part of our overall program here is the fact that the expectations in common areas are very clearly taught and practiced, which is really my my true allegiance with that whole thing is more along the lines of responsive classroom, which is all about community and the idea at Ross, as we've discussed at length, this idea that kids generally kind of know what to do. Kids aren't um, – most kids know what to do. And even when they're not doing it, they still probably know that what they should be doing. And I think that, that um, again, for, for some kids, a, a reward or punishment type system might work for them for varying reasons. But I would say that I would prefer to start by working um, with the collaborative problem-solving model – sorry – collaborative and proactive solutions model this is excellent you're starting to catch yourself now i know i'm doing good developing a a, a, i'm working on it man um but i think it's really important to recognize that 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 even if i if i were to use a behavior plan with a kid that had stickers or if there was to be a punishment um you know as a principle there are times where it in order to maintain the sense that this is opening a whole can of worms, by the way, but there are times <laughs> when I do discipline students where I say, you've done X, you're going to do Y. And then I'll work with my guidance counselor and say, what I would like you to do now is to follow up with that kid and say, wow, I heard that you did X and you, you're going to have to do Y. So what's up? What happened? Or, or do, hmm. do collaborative and proactive solutions with the kid so that the kid doesn't have Y happen again because right. they probably didn't want that to happen. Um and that has been a really hard thing for me to figure out because my internal beliefs are so congruent with with this work that we've done um you know with this model that it's really hard for me sometimes to to actually do discipline that that I really kind of need to do and 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 feel like I should do so it's it's uh I guess what I'm saying is that whenever it's possible I I I continue to to choose plan B because it's way better than A I don't know, is that a, I, It's this is not an easy topic to cover in 20 minutes. Do you know what I'm saying, no. this It's a very deep, well, deep topic.
0: It is, but I'm, I'm practical at my core. And so the question that I would ask, and Susan and Carol, of course, we'd want you both to weigh in here. If you, like Tom, um, yeah. feel that there are times when you have to deliver an adult-imposed consequence. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. My question is, what's Mm. the added value, and why do we feel that we must do it? And once again, that's coming from a place of not being allergic to doing it, but just wanting to query further about Mm. why people feel the need to do it.
1: I think for me the need would be when there's safety concerns um, for the child and for the students who are around that child. So, for example, um, we have had a child at my last school who was so violent that I needed to impose um, a consequence of suspension because I needed the class to know that I cared about their safety just as much as I cared about the boy who was struggling safety. So whether he had a suspension in my office where he just spent the day with me or we actually had to send him home because he threw his hand through a window or he threw a chair at the teacher. But as soon as those things go into place, especially here with WorkSafe BC, we do have to follow protocols and filling out uh, different workplace um, safe safe schools uh, protocols where we do have to put in place a behavior plan or a safety plan for a child and and our protocol is if it's a really violent uh, incident that's happened and a teacher or a staff member of some kind has been hurt, then we have to have that child go home until we can set up a safety plan. Like those things are pretty set in stone here in in Surrey. I think they are in British Columbia, but in Surrey, um, that we need to follow those. So there are self-imposed or, or sort of administration-imposed consequences that we have to do. And I and I do agree with them for child safety, student safety as a whole, and staff safety. I think there are times when we just need to step in. It doesn't mean that I don't do CPS, because I do. Like, that's an ongoing thing. But at that time, when the outburst happens, um, I have to take action. And
0: the only thing I would say to that, and, and I'm not... Um, taking a super hard stance against the belt-imposed consequences. But that sounds to me both like two things. Number one, it sounds like something that you must do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. yep.
0: Number two, it sounds like mostly like a break. With What we're saying is we can't ensure safety right now under the present circumstances and so we are going to take a break. We are going to modify the circumstances. And one of the tools that we have to modify the circumstances is to impose on this kid a break from circumstances as usual, which we believe he cannot manage. Am I exactly. – do I have that right? Yes. One yes. thing I'm not hearing, though, I don't think I'm hearing that we think – I'd be surprised if this is what I'm hearing, but I better check it out. I don't think I'm hearing that we're saying we think
1: that that suspension
0: will fix anything.
1: Oh, no. The oh, I agree with that is, completely. Oh, no, it doesn't fix anything. It's, it's the only not thing it the does end of the process. <laughs> no, no, that that's usually the beginning of a process, it, unless it's with a child that we've been doing you know, constant work with, you know, with their behavior that's so challenging. It is exactly as you say. It gives us a chance to reflect and then do something that we think is going to work for this child. Like, honestly, we have to bring in our police liaison officer, a district-based counselor. Like, it's not, it's a pretty big thing that we have to do so that we can make sure the safety of all has been taken into account before this child returns to school. And case, I can't I tell would you. Call,
0: how, I wouldn't sorry. call what you're doing a punishment. I wouldn't call it a motivational strategy. No. no. I would call it we're <laughs> taking a break till we can get it figured out.
1: Right. Although the child, it doesn't it, it lo- doesn't matter how you right. explain it to the child or the parents, they look at it as a punishment. Yeah. Especially the pa- the parents. The parents look like we're just being, you know, hugely punitive. And, you know, so what if he threw his fist through the window or or threw a chair at a teacher or hit another child? You know, you should be able to deal with that because you're the school. Keeping in mind that the parents are struggling at home as well, Mm -hmm. and so when we send a child home, now Mm -hmm. it's in their ballpark. And now that child, they have to figure out a way to take care of this child, if they both work, until we can get this plan into place at school. And sometimes, like I think the longest I've had a child out of school is eight days until we can get all the people around a table, including the parents and the child. Like it takes that long to get people into place to do the necessary meetings yep. to uh, welcome the child back into school. Carol, so go it's, ahead.
4: Well, you know, Susan and I work in obviously in the same system, and <clears throat> I worked as Susan's vice principal for three years, so she and I have a very similar mindset on a lot of things. And, mm-hmm. um you know, there are times, I, one of the thoughts that I had, though, is that we, um, you know, I've been learning a bit more about RTI and, and been attending some um, conferences and things, and one of the things that struck me is that um, when we're talking about interventions, whether they're behavioral or academic, there's a difference between skill interventions, which CPS falls under because we're identifying and addressing the skill deficits that a child has that's leading to their their situation, but there's also will interventions. <coughs> and sometimes you have a child who has the skills, they don't have really challenging behavior, but there's a circumstance happening whether it's a peer pressure type situation, wanting to be cool, um, or simply making a mistake, as as we do, um, where sometimes kids just need that reminder of uh, that motivation to use the skills that they have, just as we know... Um, academically, kids can have academic skills in reading and writing and mathematics, but sometimes they just don't want to. <laughs> so, you know, occasionally that will happen behaviorally as well. And so I think at that time, then sometimes those those traditional motivational um, uh, interventions, consequences, or, or rewards can be in that short-term effective just to bring that motivational level back up. But it's only by doing the ALSUP that you can identify, is this a skill deficit or is it just... Pardon me, just motivational.
2: Well, I, I agree with everything that the two of you have said, and I think it's really important to recognize that, I, or at least from, from, from my perspective, at least giving air to the idea that there are consequences for behavior in, in adulthood. I mean, if you if you make a bad decision, such as drink too much alcohol and get in your car and drive and get caught, you're going to have consequences such as losing your license or if you don't go to work, you're not going to get paid. You know, And and I think that um, there are certain rewards and consequences that do motivate adults to do the things that they do. But what I've always thought about, and particularly in reading the work of Carol Dweck recently, has validated these thoughts. And, and it started when I started working with Ross six years ago. It was really inspiring, is that there is a deeper level of motivation for people that very few of us tap into, which is about um, doing things for the greater good of a community or, or doing things just because they're right, okay. doing them because they um, make us feel good about ourselves and help others. And I think that part of this, this model, this work of of CPS and Plan B and this idea that kids do well if they can is to try to help kids to cultivate that sense of connection to adults and to do things because it's the right thing to do, not just because you're being told to do it or not to do it or you're given a reward for doing it. And I think that that, that higher mission is really at the heart of this this work that we're doing. And frankly, I think it's also at the heart of the work that we're doing as educators, that teachers um, tend to excel and and be more successful when they are doing it because they are um, in a culture that basically affirms that it's okay to make a mistake and to try new things and to to grow as a teacher. The same kind of thing works for adults too, right? I mean, if you you only get punishments and rewards at work, then you're not going to be as creative and take risks and and do really amazing things. You know, I I always figure for every creative success, there's got to be like, what, at least 100 failures behind it. Um, so I just throwing that out there that that I think that we're also doing some pretty amazing work that that um, I hope will will eventually move our society from kind of sticks and carrots to to a, a bigger. I mean that's pretty idealistic, but you know what I'm saying. Like just move mm-hmm. us to a higher level of of work and thinking. Yep.
4: Yeah.
0: Uh, and I'm a little further out. Um, I, I'm here, here's. Here's my controversial statement of the day: It's never just motivation. It is never just motivation. Like uh, it was interesting. I had an interesting conversation with a parent who I'm working with, and we were, you know, we we I was telling we were talking about a the the encyclopedic number of evaluations that have been done on her son over the years. And um, what incredible documentation there is about how many skills this kid is lacking. Um, And yet, Mm -hmm. in spite of that, the mom looked at me and said, but don't you think he's just unmotivated? Mm. And I said, motivation is the caboose. Skills are the engine. And um, that's really how I think of it. Skills are the engine. Motivation is the caboose. And so whenever – so I haven't seen a kid who was just unmotivated um, in memory. Every kid who I was tempted to believe was just unmotivated, there was more to it than that. And once I found out what the more to it than that was, um, what became clear is that he's just unmotivated wasn't a satisfactory explanation for what was really going on with the kid. Now that, of course, has ramifications for motivational strategies, because if it's never just motivation, and you know that's that's an opinion. You all may feel like you've come across kids who you thought this is just motivation, and therefore just motivational strategies should get the job done on this kid. But I haven't seen just motivation in forever. So that's another thing that sort of talks me out of just using motivational strategies. There's always something more to it because I think motivation is the caboose, not the engine. What do you all think?
4: Processing. Wow. Processing.
2: Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I it's, it's, it's just one step further than what I was saying, brain. though, Ross, because if you if you don't have the skills and you feel bad about yourself... Then you're not going to feel motivated. But if you start to develop but if, the skills, if somebody
0: extrinsically motivates you, you're still lacking the skills, and therefore yeah. you're not going to get the incentive anyways.
2: Yeah, like a, a simple. I was trying to think of like a simple example. So I get the student Susie who goes on the playground and, and doesn't know how to make friends. And then you say to her, Hey, Susie, I'm going to give you a, a, a sticker chart. Every time you make a friend, I'll give you a sticker. <laughs> It, that's stupid,
3: right? Correct. And that's what I was
2: trying to say at the beginning is, sorry, that was kind of blunt, but it is kind of stupid, right? You're not going to get anything done. And, and what I was saying at the beginning is, again, that any use for me of, of like sticker charts or rewards or whatever, typically I would want to create that with students. So taking that one step further, and Ross, I would really love your feedback on this because it's been a nagging question that I haven't been able to articulate. If you, If you – If I'm working with the student and we agree that that the the skill that's an issue is the ability to form friendships or um, some kind of a social interaction issue, uh, and then we agree that one strategy might be to to join into a game with other kids and and, and, um, just play along and, and not call attention to yourself until it feels comfortable. And then and then if I work with the student and said, "Let's work on this together. What do you think would be cool for a reward?" and the kid says, "You know, if I work hard on this and I do better at it, um, could I have lunch with you, Mr. Ambrose, with a couple of the other kids so I can, you know, play a game with them in your office?" That's a different kind of reward than me saying you're going to get stickers for every time you try this. And I'm just I'm just throwing that out there, Ross, because I think sometimes we talk about lagging skills and unsolved problems but I I do think for some people myself included when there's an example it helps me to understand it better
0: Mm -hmm. well and the only thing I would say to that is that um, while the kid may think of some reward that would signify progress and job well done, no doubt about it. That does occur in life. It would be hard for me to view it any other way than to say the kid's greatest reward is being able to enter the group and start to have friends, which is the whole reason we were working on it in the first place. Now, I don't know if that's what the kid would say, You know, as you were were giving that example, I was thinking it's, you know, how many kids would say, Mr. Ambrose, I don't need any other reward. Right. Having more friends is reward enough. Um, And I don't know if that's because of the way we've trained kids. I think we spend a lot of time training kids to focus on extrinsic rewards. What do I get if I do this well? Right. Yep. So, you know, you know what? what the kid says has a great deal to do with what we've trained them to say. Sometimes I tell the story about the four-year-old kid that I was working with once, and when I said to her back in the days when I used to ask the question why, I said to her, why are you doing this stuff that you're doing? And she said, I do it for negative reinforcement. That's pure regurgitation of what a four-year-old has been told by adults. But I also think we train kids to think of What am I going to get if I do this well? And I think what gets lost in that process, doing it well, having more Mm -hmm. friends. Having more friends is a natural consequence of being able to enter a group more adaptively. Um, A feeling of self-satisfaction that if you work really hard, you can achieve your goals is an intrinsic reward for doing well on a test or um, doing well on an assignment. Um, So what I'm always asking myself is, do we really need to add that extrinsic piece, and how much further does it really get us? And I know what answers I've come up with for that, but the reality is I can think of no greater reward for that kid who wants to enter a group better than to enter groups better, no matter what we give her besides that.
1: You know what's interesting? I think that's why I'm a firm believer in in doing CPS with younger kids. Like the younger the better, so they can learn the skills. Because I find, and Tom, I've done the same thing where I've done uh, work collaboratively with kids and asked, you know, you know, what would be, you know, a good reward or what what can you think of? And more often than not, they're looking for a reward. For me, anyways, I'm only going to speak for myself that I'm going to like or something that they are, you know, repeating that their parents have said. And I don't, I, I I, honestly, I, for me anyways, I just don't think it's an honest response. And I have to agree with Ross that I personally, and Carol will know this <laughs> as well, because she thinks the same way, intrinsically is so much better. And I don't know whether kids... I think that way, and I think that's how we need to get there. And I have had many, many conversations with kids in my office about, well, you know, when they ask, well, what will be, what will I get? What will I get if I do this? Well, mm-hmm. I guess the thing that you're going to get is that you will be outside playing with kids that you want to be and that you want to be playing. And that's isn't that what you want? And they kind of look at you like, well, yeah, but aren't I going to get something too? Like it's just, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to get away from that. But I do know that CPS needs to be done earlier on. Like I would much, like with my counselor last year, we were trying to catch the kids in kindergarten and grade one and grade two because we knew that if we could teach them the lagging skills, that would make such a huge difference in their whole life, let alone their school life. And I just think that's why it's so incredibly important that we do it at young ages.
2: I I agree. And and a lot of, um, um, I'm going to weave in this last little bit about because it's very similar, the whole idea of the, the uh, adequate yearly progress versus annual growth loss. Because I think it's an important thing Good. to talk about Great. as a group.
3: Excellent. Yeah. Because
2: they they work together. Um, you know, adequate yearly progress (AYP) as defined by the federal government is designed to s- decide whether or not a school is failing or successful. So, student student um, doesn't do well on a standardized test. The school is looked at as failing the student. But the reality is, is that um, what's called annual growth and catch-up growth are far more important. And what that does is it says to the teacher, your child, this child has come to you at the beginning of X grade, let's say second grade, at a certain level of skill with reading, writing, and math. We're asking you as a school district to move them one year from where they start. hmm I have teachers who move students, and I'm not kidding, 2.25 years wow. of growth in one year. I've seen teachers move students 1.5 years in growth between our, our literacy intervention. I mean, we have a very strong school here. We, we have a very high level of, of, of students attaining our benchmarks for reading at the end of second grade. So my point with this is that I just wanted to clarify that, that when students are reading, The reward isn't the sticker chart. The reward is the reading. Mm -hmm. But they might not know that yet. And so sometimes I think that, that, like I think about Noah and snowboarding. You know, I said to Noah, I said, you can pick between snowboarding and skiing, but you have to be able to ride the snowboard and turn it and feel really comfortable on it before you choose. And he chose snowboarding. And so now he'll say to me, he won't say to me, Dad, why do I have to learn this kind of turn or how to ride backwards? He does it because it feels good and he likes it. But there was a time where I had to give him candy on the list to get him snowboarding.
3: <laughs> right? So I'd say, hey,
2: Noah, you, you make it through this run, buddy. I'll give you a piece of chocolate. Cool, we did it. Let's do another one. So there was a time when I needed to give him some chocolates to get him to go, and now yeah. I don't have to anymore. Now he wakes me up at 5.45 and says, Dad, it's a powder day. Let's go now. And, you know, the lists don't open until 8.20. So, yeah. so I'm just saying that that I I just I just want to continue this wonderful conversation. Um, and Ross, I really appreciate your insight today, but I just wanted to clarify that piece because annual growth is what's important to me. How far a kid grows one year or more in a year, than then adequate yearly progress. So I hope that helped for the po- folks who listen and and for you, Ross, to know that that what I'm shooting for and what we're shooting for is that that annual growth. And I, I I'm I just see all kinds of different things work, and I just keep an open mind to how to do it. But I would agree with you about the um, the part about the real reward for that kid in my little example. I would agree with you 100% is making the friends in the group. And they may want to have lunch with me to talk about it, or bring some friends to talk about it as a reward at first. But I would hope that they would eventually make those connections. Mm-hmm. Carol, we've given you 10 minutes to
0: think a little bit here because we know that you were thinking. <laughs> Dang it.
4: I was hoping to hide but your the
0: time is here. now up. Tom, thank you okay, for good. that.
1: <laughs> now,
0: you know, but, but, but i got to make one more point because mm. I'll forget it otherwise. Carol, then you're up. Um, you know how when you go to the doctor and you have a complaint about something, the doctor feels, ob- physical complaint, the doctor feels obligated to do something, Right write a prescription, um, send you to somebody else um, because you've come to them for help. When in fact, sometimes one of the best things the doctor can do is tell you, you know what, um, this is going to run its course and there's really nothing I can do to make it go any faster than it's going. I feel the same way about reward and punishment programs sometimes. I think that often we adults feel that we must do something. And often a reward or a punishment is what occurs to us. It's easy. We've been trained to do it. It's the way a lot of folks roll. When in fact, sometimes development is just going to run its course no matter what we do. Hmm. Carol,
4: You're up. Oh, my goodness. Well, (laughs) geez. Pressure is good news, Carol. If
0: I I hum and haw for two minutes. We have a minute and a half left. (laughs) If it's
4: it's not incredible,
0: it will only be a minute and 30 seconds if it's not incredible.
4: Well, you know what always happens to me on this program is I listen to everyone's opinions and I find myself flip-flopping because everyone has exceptionally well-spoken arguments and examples and thoughts and then I keep thinking about it for like the rest of the day and you know, like I know Tom has been working with you for six years and he's been on the program, has it been two or three years that we've been on and you know, even he has trouble making up his mind sometimes because there's Mm -hmm. always a different example, there's always a different child that that challenges our thinking there's new research you read another book and you see how things tie together and you know and it just it's a constantly evolving i think um practice that we have and our thoughts on it and just like you yourself ross didn't weren't trained as a as a collaborative or sorry a collaborative and proactive solutions maker um you know you you evolved into the person that you are and I think you continue to evolve and so what I just find is you know I might have even come into the program thinking you know <clears throat> a sticker chart is just like ah I am it just makes my shoulders rise up to my ears and like it's just such a short-term um band-aid solution to anything but you know maybe maybe there's a time and place maybe there isn't I think about my own daughter and you know, the the things that, that she needed some help on, and, you know, she was, <clears throat> you know, when we used uh, some external guidance at times, and, and did it help her? Did it teach her skills, or was it more just, I don't know, I don't know. I'm more muddled, I think, than I was at the beginning. Let's put it that way.
0: We're sorry, but it works <laughs> out that way sometimes on this program. But it does, it's um,
4: thought-provoking. Mm-hmm. I must
0: say when I started thinking about all of this stuff, I was pretty muddled myself and then obviously have come out on the other end of it and haven't mm. stopped thinking about it. So I guess I guess that's the key is to not stop thinking about it and for adults to think about what they're doing and think about who this kid is and what he needs and to um, make sure that the kid gets it. On that note, we're going to call it a day. Thank you all. It was a very interesting program, I think.
4: Thank you, Ross. Thank you. Absolutely.
0: And uh, we'll do this again next month, if uh, you all are willing.
1: Excellent. Sounds great. Thanks. Talk to
0: you then.